You're listening to Business Stories with Ryan Arcarachi, where I speak to business professionals from all walks of life. Thanks for listening, and let's get to it. Hey, everybody. Happy Friday. Welcome to another episode of Business Stories with Ryan Arcarachi. And today, we're going to talk yet again about some opportunities in business and an interesting angle. A lot of people think that you know, when you start a business, you have to leave your, your corporate job and dive in head first. But my guest today is Patrick Elsner. He is here to talk about why you don't necessarily have to leave a job to start a business um, and how that transition can be a lot less scary if you do decide to go that route. But before we go there, I want to introduce Patrick and talk about his background. So Patrick, thank you for being here. Thanks, Ryan. I appreciate you having me on. Course. So let's talk a little bit about your history. I know you've been doing this quite a few years. What made you transition from you know what you were doing, getting in, and decide to get into franchise franchising? So I got indoctrinated into, into franchising because I sold advertising to business owners. A lot of them were small independent business owners, and a lot of them were franchise owners. So. I got a real good firsthand education on the benefits of having systems and infrastructure, branding, marketing plans in place, because a lot of those small independent business owners were sort of flying by the seat of their vintage pants. And the franchises obviously had the systems, infrastructure and programs in place. So I got to see a good compare and contrast and I became to really embrace the franchise model and so when I decided I was done with corporate America, I started looking at franchises to join, ended up becoming a franchise consultant. And here I am 21 years later. So let's talk about what does it mean to be a franchise consultant and walk us through the process? Because I think a lot of people listening who are looking into business ownership, especially with the new year, it's, it's time to look at new opportunities, new things going on, new directions for yourself. What exactly does it mean to be a franchise consultant and walk us through how to identify real opportunities for the right people? So Entrepreneur Magazine just published their Franchise 500. And there's, on top of that, another probably 2,000 to 3,000 other franchises that aren't listed in that magazine. I liken this to shopping for a home. I wouldn't shop for a home without a real estate agent. Sure, I can go to Zillow and I can go to realtor.com and I can poke around, but you need an expert when you're talking about an investment of several hundred thousand dollars, you need someone who's on the inside. And it's the reason I call my company Franchise Insider. So really what I do, Ryan, is, is help people figure out, is there even a franchise that's available where they live that fits their criteria? And what, how do you identify that? Because, you know, you have people that come in and they say, yeah, you know what? I want to own a business because I want to make a lot of money. I, I want to make more money than I'm making now. I want to have a better life for myself and my family than I am, than I have now. Um, but that's not always the best motivator, right? So people really have to feel passionate about it and be willing to sometimes work more than they're working now. So how do you find how do you walk them through that process to make them understand the reality of it? Well, you have to understand the, the most people when they approach franchising, they 
approach it from a personal consumption standpoint. Just the other day, I had a guy reach out to me all excited. He was really interested in a Jimmy John's. I said, you know, Joe, why you like Jimmy John's? He said, oh, Patrick, the place is packed and I love the food. Who wouldn't want to own a Jimmy John's? And I said, well, is Jimmy John's even in your territory available? Yeah. Have you ever run a restaurant? Do you have the financial wherewithal to launch a Jimmy John's? And so, so many people think about it, but they go at it with good intentions, but the wrong approach. And what I do, Ryan, is I say, let's set the franchises aside. Let's focus in on how much you want to invest, how much you want to make, and what role you actually want to play in the franchise. Right, right. And you talk a little bit about earlier, we said, you know, there are people who don't feel like they're ready to make the leap entirely into being a full-time business owner. Um, and I think that's interesting because there's a lot of talk out there that you need to just jump in, quit your job, jump in head first and just take the leap. Right. But a lot of people, I'm sure a lot of people listening here too are, are it's, it's scary, right? There's, it's scary to get out of that comfort zone of where you're at the day-to-day -day grind, the normal paycheck, all that stuff. So what can you talk about some brands that that create that sort of opportunity or how people can can work within that area where you're kind of a hybrid business owner employee w2 what's out there what kind of opportunities are out there for that well i'd say 80 percent of the people i'm placing right now ryan keep their w2 jobs and do a franchise on the side best example of that would be like owning a sports clips or uh, great clips. Uh, you and I, I, I know I don't, I don't think you do. Uh, we don't cut hair for a living. So right. we would never actually work in a sport clips or a great clips, but you could certainly own them. There's a guy here in St. Louis that owns about 85 great clips spanning from Kansas, Missouri, and down into Florida. He's built this huge apparatus and I can't tell you what he's making, but if you do 85 locations and let's say each one of them's netting, I don't know, 50 grand, do the math. He's built a huge uh, uh, apparatus here. Not saying that that's what everybody aspires to, but that's really the key. Right. Do you have any particular stories of such people you've worked with in situations like where that's just really working? Cause it almost seems like it's, it's like, how do you find that balance? I mean, if you're, if you're working and then you have this business where you're an absentee <clears throat> owner, that sounds really stressful on top of having a family and, and a, a personal life outside of all that. Um, how do you strike that balance? Do you have any other examples of where it's, you know, you've seen people really, really thrive in that kind of role? Yeah, I'll give you another example. I mean, if you have Eclipse, there's a really good chance, Ryan, you don't have to have a W-2 job anymore. Yeah. Um, there was a lady that I placed in, in Dallas that started opening up a franchise called Smart Style. Now, yeah. most people have never heard of Smart Style unless they shop inside Walmart super centers. But Smart Style are hair salons that are inside Walmart's at the front of the uh, cash register. And uh, she has probably, I want to say 28 stores now in DFW. She's mm -hmm. not working a W-2 job anymore, but Radic has built a huge 
you know, apparatus with regional managers and district managers and store managers and assistant managers. That's really the only way to do it. But you're not, you're not working a W2 job if you've got that many locations. Right. What are you seeing as far as trends go with the industries? I mean, I know that there's like, I know during COVID home service franchises really just exploded. Um, and here we are already four years later. Um, what are you seeing in terms of just movement and trends in the industry in, in brands, new brands coming up? Are you, are you seeing or hearing anything exciting out there going on? Yeah, I, I think there is a tremendous amount of franchises in the health and wellness space. And you see that a lot because people like healthcare whether they're exposed to it as a consumer or they think to themselves, okay, if there is going to be an economic downturn, we know that healthcare is pretty recession resistant. So if you're not a doctor, how do you own a healthcare franchise? Well, that's pretty simple. You go with a model that doesn't require the franchise owner to be in the medical profession. Right. Right. Any, any other, any other verticals you think are, are really kind of thriving in sort of a post-COVID era, like beauty, um, home services? What, what other kind of directions are you seeing it go? Yeah, any of the niche franchises that are out there. Like, I'll give you a specific example. A couple of years ago, um, there was a franchise called Smash My Trash. And this is a franchise that work with, you know, construction companies and such, uh, shipping companies, manufacturing companies that had these giant dumpsters in the back of their parking lot. And what Smash My Trash was, they'd come by, smash down the contents of the dumpsters. And that was a niche play, Ryan. And that's one that we saw was very popular. Again, everything, the riches are definitely in the niches. And that's where the opportunity is. Most people, if, if you went down Times Square and started interviewing people and said, hey, what kind of uh, franchise would you like to launch? They would say things like, oh, I'd love to own a Chick-fil-A or um, I would love to open up a coffee shop. Nobody says I can't wait to suck water out of somebody's basement. <laughs> And that's really interesting what you said there, because I think the average person, well, you and I, we've worked in franchising for years and, you know, the average person thinks, oh yeah, franchising, you want me to own a McDonald's? It's like, no, they don't understand that there's literally what, is it like 3,500 or so franchises nationwide or something? Last time I checked, is that, I don't know if that's accurate, but. Yeah, it, it fluctuates. There's a couple hundred that come in every year and a couple hundred that leave. Like a buddy of mine that I placed in Houston He's from Scotland. And I asked him why he ended up going with the franchise that I recommended. He said, Patrick, there's money in muck. And I thought, man, he is so right. Yeah. That's where the money is. You know, you think about franchises like Surpro. Yeah. Nobody thinks about Surpro, but right. those guys are making some serious bank. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I understand what you're saying and I agree with you a hundred percent. So, I want to ask you too, Patrick, because the biggest, I mean, I'm sure this is a big question you get from a lot of people is I want to do this. I have a little money saved, but I, I don't, 
I, I'm really scared to make the investment. And I know there's different brands of different level investments, you know, but you know, how do you walk somebody through that, the financial, I guess, fear and budget and think about how do I do this while trying to, you know, budget my life and everything? How do I make this work? Um, it, are there opportunities for people that I'm not saying they have no money, but there are people that don't have millions saved. Do you know what I mean? So how do you walk them through that process? Well, think about it when COVID hit, what did the, the Dow Jones drop like 30%? Yeah. I mean, there's risk in the stock market. Nobody's foolish enough to think that, that, Hey, it's going to grow in perpetuity, seven, eight percent. Everything's going to be great. There's risk in everything. The difference is when you launch a franchise, your net worth doesn't change one penny. You still own an asset that has value. So what you have to approach with candidates is really to get them to think about this logically, not as, oh, I'm going to invest 300000 in this Surpro franchise. You're investing in it. It has value. And then hopefully in X number of years or whenever you want to exit, you have an asset you can turn around and sell. I'll give you a specific example, Ryan. Uh, late in third quarter of last year, I placed a gentleman into a franchise that he purchased from an existing owner in Raleigh, North Carolina. The mm -hmm. owner sold it to my candidate for close to a million dollars. So you have that as an asset you can turn around and sell at some point. And what happens to if you're if you know if you stay with the franchise a while, um, do you have the opportunity to to pass it down to family, kids? Um, can you can you let it kind of kind of ride out even when you're done or you exit or maybe you get too old, pass away or something? Can you can you do that? Is that opportunity there too? To a family member, sure, they still have to go through the same process of approval by the franchisor but remember the franchisor wants the franchise to continue and to thrive so they'll go through the same process that the original you know parents went through in terms of the investigation okay you know one thing i think about too often is it, the relationship with the franchisor and the franchisee i think a lot of people wonder what is this? And I know every franchise is different and it's a different dynamic, right? But a lot of people think, well, is the franchisor like a boss to me? Are, are they are they really controlling um, a lot of my activities and the way I do things? Or do I have complete autonomy and they're just a support center for me? Like, what does that look like in the most part in the industry? What are you seeing? Because I think a lot of people are probably worried about, I don't want, I want to have autonomy. I want to have freedom. But at the same time, I do have to kind of you know, uh, follow the rules of the franchisor. Yeah, look, there, there's no question about it. You're, you are going to be confined and constrained to work within the franchise system. Just because you decide that you're going to open up a Dunkin' Donuts doesn't mean that you can sell fish sandwiches on Fridays because there's a lot of Catholics in Boston. Yeah, It just doesn't work that way. Part of the reason there's a franchise, it's because of the common structure that the consumer also is expecting. When they go into McDonald's, 
they want to experience a Big Mac and they want it to be the same, whether it's the one in Times Square or New Melly, Missouri. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Do you, do you feel like, I mean, based on the brands you work with and the people you work with, do you think there's, I mean, I understand you have to follow the franchise, you know, you're not going to be selling, uh, uh, you know, desserts at a sandwich place, obviously, but do you see that a lot of, a lot of brands are different in terms of kind of what they allow, what they don't allow? Does it, does it vary? And does that factor come into play when people make a decision with a brand? It does. I think with more pioneering or emerging brands, I think there's a little bit more latitude there. And if it's an established brand like a Dunkin' Donuts, it's going to be a little bit more rigid. The way you can get creative, though, is some of the external marketing things that you can do. Certainly those are things where you can have a level of creativity. Right, right. So what, 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 what drives you, Patrick, to continue to do this for, I mean, I think you've been in it for over 20 years or 20 years or so. Obviously you enjoy what you do. What, what is it about what you're doing that you love? Belief in the franchise model, Ryan, again, having gone back and sold advertising to those small independent businesses. Now, look, I couldn't art articulate it at 22, 23 years of age. But as I look back and reflect on those people that that those small independent business owners, they struggled in large part because they didn't have systems. They didn't have structure. They didn't have training manuals, operation manuals. They didn't have uniforms. There's that there's that level of predictability that comes with a franchise, not only from the consumer experience, but also from running that business. That's why Phil Dean, who is the largest Stanley Steamer franchise owner, happens to be here in St. Louis, spends a good six months out of the year down in Florida because that business is automated for him. Those owners or those employees, when they come into work every day, they know what they need to do. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's interesting because, you know, if you start, I mean, I I give a lot of credit to people who start businesses from scratch and just, and they just expand and grow and become a franchise eventually. But I think what's great is when you get into a franchise model, I'm not saying all the work is done for you, but a large chunk of the foundation of the marketing, the sales, the process is already in place. It's kind of like walking into a fully furnished home. You're like, okay, great. I'm just going to bring some of my stuff and move in. I'm good. Um, but there is some level of work there, but, but the people that have pioneered it and started it have really done some of that groundwork for you, which it's, it's just, that's, what's great about it. Um, but there is a level of commitment you need to have as you, as you start a franchise model or as you get into a franchise model that you need to commit to, too. So, um, that's great. Well, Hey, Patrick, this has been a really good, uh, conversation. If people have questions or they want to learn more from you, what's the best way to reach you? Yeah, it's a real simple URL here, Ryan. It's franinside.com, franinside.com. And you'll have an FAQ page. You'll have my contact information. There's over 105 written testimonials of people I placed just in the last couple of years. And what's like, how many, on average, how many placements do you have? I mean, I can tell you have a lot of experience. So like, what's your, what's your average volume. I mean, in terms of just placing people. 
Yeah, you're looking at double-digit numbers every year. Puts me in the top 1% of all the consultants that do what I do. So I don't, I don't ever say that to impress people. I simply want to make that impression. It's sort of like if I were going to shop for a home, why would I want to work with a rookie when I can work with an experienced realtor who's been doing it for 20 years? They know the ins and outs of the market. They know how to negotiate uh, a sales contract. There's no sense in working with somebody who lacks experience in, in really any industry. And it's universal to franchising or to real estate, insurance, legal representation. That's really the key. Right. Well, thank you so much, Patrick. If you're listening to this, anybody, and you want to get into franchise ownership or look into it, even as as a supplement to your current situation, reach out to Patrick Elsner, Franchise Insider. Thanks, Patrick. Have a great weekend. I appreciate you talking to me. Thanks, Ryan. Did you enjoy this episode? I hope so. If you want to support the podcast, you can go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Ryan says thanks. Your support is appreciated. And hey, even if you don't buy me a coffee, I'm happy to have you listening. So keep it up and thanks again.